This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another amazing episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. Um, Before I go any further, we are extremely close to Halloween, so happy early Halloween. Now that I'm thinking about it, we probably should have done the Top 10 Halloween movies, but I guess we can do that in the eyes. I'm like, oh shit, I didn't realize, but it's okay, because Halloween deserves to be all year round. If we can celebrate Christmas for nine months out of the year, we can celebrate Halloween the weekend after it, so it's fine. We'll do it next week, but (laughs) that is not this week's top ten, and I guess I should probably introduce myself while I'm at it. I'm not not doing well this morning for some reason. You're Um, never doing well. All right, then. All right, then. Um, Brittany thinks that she's Brittany thinks that she's a big shot now because she uh, she's affiliated on Twitch. I'm so sorry. It was. <laughs> Let me do this intro really quick. I'm your host Tia Baby, and as I just said, we have Brittany Hegel with us. How are we doing, Brittany? I'm good. I'm good. I'm trying to breathe because my beautiful fat cat is sitting straight on my chest, staring into my soul. So besides that, doing great, ready to do the podcast, but also I'm like, must exist today. <laughs> it's just one of those days. It is. I will say it is incredibly dreary today. Um, it's raining, it's dark, which I guess is just like the perfect day to sit inside, watch some TV, listen to a podcast by us. So, (laughs) I I have to say that I'm a little bit in the Halloween mood because I have this gigantic, I have to show you a picture, Brittany, but this gigantic skull cup that I have been drinking water out of for the past week and it's staring me right in the face. So, there you go, a little Halloween-ish. I'm kicking myself, actually, for not having thought about this, but that's okay because we still have a fantastic show um, on the rise, and it is going to be the top ten cop shows and movies. Let's all be honest. We love cop shows and movies, detectives, solving the crime. We eat that shit up. We really do. And you may not even realize it, but look at primetime, look at cable, um, almost Every single show out there has something to do with law enforcement, whether it be NCIS, CSI, uh, Hawaii Five-0. There's just so many different shows out there and movies, and I partially wanted to do this list, even though I haven't seen the movie yet, but it was inspired because this past Thursday, the movie Black and Blue came out um, with Frank Grillo and Naomi Harris in it, and obviously it's about cops, so I don't know, I just kind of got in the mood to thinking about all of this, and I thought, hey, let's let's do a top 10 on it, because you can ask anyone 
one of my favorite pastimes if I don't know what to watch is I will literally just watch YouTube videos of cops and live PD. I don't know why that shit entertains me so freaking much. Oh, I love the show. I love it when they're like, I have no crack on me. They have all the crack. <laughs> this, these aren't my pants. I don't have, no, no. Someone must have just put that bundle of heroin in my pocket while I wasn't looking. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, that sounds accurate. Or when someone is like, well, you know, there were a lot of people in my car, you know, and I'm like, who is letting, like, just 10 people take their car out for a joyride? No one takes my car out for a joyride, and I just, I I don't understand it, but whatever. Anyway, (laughs) that, that is our topic for today, and I thought that we had a lot of good ones that we had talked about before the show even started. So I guess without further ado, Brittany, let's hear your number 10. Okay. Have you seen the show Psych? Okay. It was so funny. So Brittany and I don't normally do this. This is usually, say, a surprise, the list for us. But today we exchanged our picks prior to the actual show just so that we, you know, wouldn't have any overlap. And when you showed me your list, this is the only thing that I've not seen. I never got into sight like everyone else did. What? You're dead to me. I quit this podcast. I'm hanging up. Oh, my God. So dramatic. <laughs> I know, I know. But Psych was always such a good one because basically Sean Spencer, the main character of the show, his father was a cop that taught him, like, great observational skills. But to the point that Sean developed them where they're so, like, uncanny that he was, like, figuring out all of these crimes. So how the whole show starts out is he ends up calling in leads because he's figuring out these crimes, right? And he's calling in anonymously to give them a lead, like, hey, the evidence links it to this, and it solves a bunch of crimes. But the police start getting suspicious because they're like, oh, there's no way this guy could just be figuring it out. He must be, like, the killer or, like, the one committing these crimes, and he's just, like, getting on the inside Well, they end up arresting him, and during the, uh, like, interrogation, he basically pretends he's a psychic to get out of it, because he can't just say, he keeps trying to say, oh, I'm just really good at figuring this stuff out, but they don't believe him. So he ends up uh, going over and over again, like, oh, yeah, you know, I know this because I'm a psychic. So they end up believing he's a psychic, and employ him, but he is made aware that if his powers, quote-unquote, are ever proven not real, that he will be persecuted at the uh, to the furthest extent of the law, which I don't think is really fair because, I mean, you have no proof. He's figured out – he obviously has showed you that his observational skills are awesome, but uh, so he has to keep this up. Well, his best friend, Gus, uh, is basically his unwilling partner through the entire thing that gets into all of this with him. 
But one of the head detectives is named Lassiter. Well, they all call him Lass or Lassie. Well, uh, that's the guy that plays uh, the dude in in Deadwood and also Kane in Supernatural. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I love him. So, uh, yeah, psych. Because... It, even though it's not, it, it's still law enforcement. It's still figuring out the crime, still making sure people come to justice, but it's so funny. And I feel like with all the law enforcement shows that are so serious and so depressing, it's nice for Psych to add. It's like Scrubs. Like, that's the closest thing I can compare it to with the silliness that they get into, which I believe they have a movie coming out soon that kind of wraps everything up, and a lot of the people are coming back for it. But that whole show was always a good time, and I remember watching reruns of it continuously before school would start. I um, I was just going to say, Psych always, at least from what I would see from it, reminded me of Scrubs. It pretty much is the police version of Scrubs, which you are right. They are coming out with a Psych movie, but I believe for some reason it got delayed. I don't know why. Um, I would have to look it up really quick, but yeah, so that's kind of the thing. Um, It's so funny as you're describing it. I wanted to throw out a... uh, uh, an honorable mention really quick because I'm not going to put it on the list per se, but it reminded me very much of iZombie where the first two seasons Liv pretends to be a psychic to solve these crimes, which I guess you can kind of say iZombie is like a detective show. I mean, every week I mean, with a case is. that they need to solve, right? Right. But um, yeah, I don't know why I never got into Psych because at the time that it was on, I was watching the USA Network all the time. Uh, Scrubs was on it. I think they did a lot of reruns of Law & Order SVU. So I always saw the, the promotion for Psych. I just never caught Psych. But Which now that you say it, maybe I'll have to go back and watch it because it is nice when they have a little bit, I guess you would say, a, uh, a more lighthearted version of what we're so used to since, you know, detectives and cop shows are typically, um, whatchamacallit, it, you know, it's more serious. Again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you, but you, you know what, though? Shows like, say, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never watched Psych, right? But uh-huh. I'm going to use Scrubs as an example, or even iZombie, you know, these shows that are depicted and promoted to be a more lighthearted show where you have a lot of laughs, but then they throw in those emotions and those, like, endearing moments or even those sad moments that just punch you in the gut, and they seem so much worse because you're not Yeah, you know, you're not in this whole depressing void, you're like, oh, I'm laughing one minute, and now suddenly I'm crying. <laughs> uh, like, you know, Lassiter, uh, the head detective, and Sean have, like, this love-hate relationship, but um, I don't know, just watching his development of getting so close to these guys and really starting to believe in them, like, there is, I can't remember 
there's something that hits hard in that movie with, uh, I mean, in that show with Lasseter. I'm tr- I can't quite remember because it's been years since I've watched this show, but I do love it. But on the subject of honorable mentions, can I add one that's not on both of our lists that it also yeah. reminds me of? Yeah. I haven't seen the show in years, but Mom was obsessed with the show. Do you remember the show Monk? I never watched Monk, but funny enough, before you go into it, you know the guy who plays the main character in Monk is the guy who plays Abe in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? What? No! The, the guy who plays the father in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is the same guy who plays the main character in Monk. Oh, God, I knew I loved him. <laughs> oh, shit. But, you know, Monk was about, okay, there was this, uh, I can't remember if he was a detective or basically he was the crime solver, right? And he was super mm-hmm. intelligent, but he has a list of, like, medical issues, like, uh, like mental issues. Like, he has OCD and he has uh, a ton of phobias, but after his wife is killed in a conspiracy he ends up closing off into himself and he doesn't come out of his house for like three and a half years because he has a nervous breakdown from it. Mm-hmm. And so, and until they say like the final episode, his wife's death was, the wife's death was the only unsolved case he had. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like, but it's like lighthearted because of his phobias, which, you know, sometimes you do realize that it was like a, time in the past for certain shows uh, because they do definitely ham up like the OCD thing like to the point like oh he can't stand to see this one paper out of place which it can be like that but they like way went into it to make it seem like I'm like dude if it was, you can't even function at that point but so it was like him getting over his phobias learning to control his OCD and all these other things. And it was just, it was cute, but it had some very sad punch you in the gut moments. Well, that's what I was going to say is that um, I remember when Monk was out and that was another show that I didn't watch, but I remember my mom like saying that she had no interest in it because of say how, much they hand up the fact that he had OCD. And I remember that was the whole shtick, you know? And it felt more so like a shtick than anything else. Um, so, but certainly it put that actor on a lot of people's radar. And probably without Monk, we wouldn't have him as Abe in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which we can all agree he is fabulous as. <laughs> I I just love that man. He 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 is one great guy. I just love his accent. Oh, well, not his accent. You know how he talks in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I love the way he talks. I know, I know. I love it too. I just can't wait for that show to come out. But that show is certainly not a cop show, so we can't talk about it. <laughs> oh no! I mean, technically, she gets arrested a shit ton. Can we talk about that? <laughs> for indecent ex- Can we talk about what people were arrested for back then? All they did was say fuck a few times and they're getting carted up. Like, if you look at, like, 
say Lenny Bruce, the real Lenny Bruce's, like, charges. Like, yeah, he has a few drug charges in there, but, like, most of most of them are because he was playing, he was, oh, I can't talk, he was, like, saying dirty jokes, and it's like, God, we would all be getting arrested back then. Oh, yeah, the Pope jokes got him, too. Yeah, it's like, what? The people are just, that, that that's like a, you know, back in the day, uh, Catcher in the Rye was so provocative and controversial. And I don't know if you ever read uh, Catcher in the Rye, but you're like, what is about this book that literally had people burning it and it banned in like every school back when it first was released? So it's just interesting. But let's move on. I'll do the number nine. And I guess this... Um, this should be maybe a little higher, but compared to, say, my other picks, I just don't feel like it could top those other picks. So you might be a little surprised that I'm putting this at the number nine. But it is, as you would say, Brittany, justified. I dabbed. I dabbed. I dabbed for it. Let it be known. I am a woman of my word. <laughs> she has dabbed. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Justified ran for six seasons uh, and stars, um, what you might call it, Timothy Oliphant, um, uh, Jacob Pitts, uh, er- oh God, what is the girl's name? Erica something. I'll look that up in a second. I want to give due diligence. But yeah. Um, so. You have Raylan Givens, who is this U.S. Marshal who pretty much thinks that it is the Wild West, even though we are in modern times, because he is constantly having shootouts with bad guys. Um, Definitely, he grew up probably watching way too many Westerns, and (laughs) because he decides to pull his shit in Miami, they send him back to Kentucky, to Harlan County, which he is not happy about because he's from Harlan County. And we have six seasons of shenanigans and shootouts and bad boy, Boyd Crowder, played by Walton Goggins. Which, did you know, Brittany, that his first name is Walton, not Walter? That tripped me up like nobody's business. I, I, Walton. It is not Walter. It is Walton. Um, but what? W O T or what? What? But um, yeah, and this is obviously a cop show. And what's kind of like hilarious about it is that everyone in the marshal service like loves being a marshal. Like they talk about constantly, like it's a little inappropriate, but some of the men are like, "Oh, I gotta this gives." This gives me a stiffy and everything. Like they all, they all clearly love being marshals. They think they're so badass. So it's like kind of hilarious because they all are sitting there like, yeah, people underestimate us a lot because you see even in the seasons how once they say they're say a marshal, people will be like, oh, those are still around. Aren't you guys kind of irrelevant? But it's like interesting to kind of see. But the, the show is incredibly easy to watch. It's a lot of fun. They definitely play very fast and loose with, say, legality, because I'm pretty sure that Raylan Gibbons would have had his badge taken away a thousand times by now. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's, 
yeah, but there's a shit ton of characters throughout the seasons. All are pretty interesting. Um, and I think that the show gets better as the seasons go on. You can tell that the first season kind of suffered a little from, say, low budgetness. Uh, and maybe it, the one thing is that, especially in the first season, a lot of the side characters that they get, I, I'm going to say, are played by actors that aren't necessarily very good. But as the season, <laughs> you know, they get like the extra to come in for the day and they don't necessarily deliver their lines that well. So I'm going to be honest with you because when I first started watching it, I was like, oh God, this is really incredibly like not say well done. But as the seasons go on and they start developing and they really, I think, get better stories, they get better actors and it's gets better and you have this whole dynamic with Raylan and Boyd where the two of them not only grew up together, both of their fathers were in the criminal enterprise with each other and whereas uh, Raylan, you know, diverged from all that to become a marshal, Boyd kind of followed within those footsteps but also on his own path and no matter what happens, they sort of have this like mutual respect for each other that you see throughout the seasons. And oh, Erica Tazel, there it is. Sorry, I just wanted to give her her due diligence. Um, and it's kind of so the end of the show when I say that Raylan and Boyd have this relationship with each other. At the end of the show, um, they have their final showdown, their final confrontation, and Boyd is kind of like. I'm not going to draw on you, Raylan. So if you're going to shoot me, you're just going to have to shoot me. And I'm not going to draw on you. Because they pretty much like had this thing where like a few seasons back, it kind of was guesstimated that if a final showdown ever happened between them, it was going to be a shootout. But Boyd was pretty much like, I'm tired. I'm not going to do this. If you want to shoot, just shoot. But it's not going to be justified like you said it was, you know? Oh, um, no, no. So I really like the show a lot just because it, it can be funny. It can be a little ludicrous. Um, and it certainly was an eye-opener into the inner workings of uh, Harlan County <laughs> in Kentucky. Um, you can't be hanging now. Huh? You can't leave me hanging. Did he shoot Boyd? He doesn't shoot Boyd. No, no, no. Boyd ends up going to jail because the whole thing is that they, it's one of those things where we've probably seen it before um, and I don't know what to compare it to, but maybe you'll think of it when I describe it. It's like Boyd was like the main bad guy in the, oh, it's it's like Blaine in iZombie, right? First season, he's the main bad guy. But then, you know, he has loose morality, but he also helps out. So there's this, like, kind of conflict. He's, like, an enemy but a friend at the same time. And then throughout the seasons, there's other adversaries, so they pay attention to them. And then in the final season, when everyone else is defeated, it's like, now we're going to finally concentrate on this guy, and he's finally going to come to justice for all the things that he's done wrong. Because, you know... Don't, you know, get mistaken. Boyd, like, has killed plenty of people, been in the heroin business, 
stole this, this, and that. Like, he certainly has done a lot of bad shit. Boyd is the best thing about that show. Sorry, Tim. Boyd kills the show. <laughs> he really does. Because I'm going to tell you that I was not really at all interested in Raylan. I'm like, okay, okay. Like, I couldn't give a shit less about when they introduced the whole him getting back with his ex-wife storyline or all the other women that he slept with throughout the season. If you think about Boyd, was quite the monogamous. Uh, he was with one woman pretty much for the whole entire show. Um, so there you go. The romantic. But... So romantic with the heroine and the killing. I love it. I mean, he killed someone for Ava, you know. Oh, the best thing is really sorry before I pass along to you is what I loved about Boyd when you first met him. Well, first of all, he also has his own development because when you first meet Boyd, he is very much a neo-Nazi. And then as the seasons go on, it's like he kind of is like, yeah, that was a stupid point in my life, and I don't give a shit now. <laughs> well, the only color I see is green. <laughs> but, oh, um, my gosh. I, I mean, it's uh, true, though, right? Right? They have, like, this really interesting plot line in one of the seasons, by the way, where, like, you have this one group, um, Mr. Limehouse, uh, who is like an African-American guy, and he has his uh, kind of section, I guess you would say, of Harlan County, where not only do they make apparently the best barbecue ever, which got me like super hungry the whole entire time I was watching it, but they also are in their own, you know, nefarious uh, drug business, but also they are kind of like a protector of, say, abused women because they say, they reveal that, like, Ava and Raylan's mother and everything, when they couldn't, you know, take it anymore and were being too much abused by their husbands, they would go to Limehouse who would protect them because no southern white boy wanted to cross the bridge to go into, you know, their territory and everything. So that's you know, I like the I like that kind of storyline there. But um, I do sorry. too. I love stuff like that. But where that gets me to is when you first meet Ava Crowder. She is married to Boy's brother, who you never see. But apparently, Boy's brother Bowman used to beat Ava, and Ava couldn't take it anymore, so she killed Bowman. Um, and you think that Boyd is going to be furious because everyone's like, you know, Boyd is asking for you. Boy's like, where's Ava? You know, and everyone's freaking out. Gotta protect Ava, blah, blah, blah. You find out Boy doesn't want to get rid of Ava, doesn't want to exact revenge on Ava. He knows how much of a douchebag his brother is. He thinks it's his duty to take care of Ava. Okay, that's hot, though. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me a little of Delarue from uh, Salvation, thinking that he needs to take care of his brother's widow. Yeah, he's going to beat her and raped her. Oh, oh yeah. Bone, uh, not Bone. Boy doesn't do that. Boyd and Ava actually become engaged at some point. Like, they have a very, uh, a very lovely relationship for most of the series. But I've talked Beautiful. enough about Beautiful. this. <laughs> 
What do you think about Justified, Brittany? I think it was Justified. Sorry, I had to grab on it. But, uh, no, I I really enjoyed that show. I got to watch it truly for the first time whenever I visited Tia in New York at the beginning of this month, which, man, it feels like so long ago, but also it feels like yesterday. But uh, great show. I don't care. I don't give a shit about Raylan. I will admit that. But Tim, all of them, uh, Boyd, Boyd is the best thing. The way he talks reminds me of Teabag from prison break but he's very yeah. educated and he has a certain way of speaking it's not like when they were like oh somebody said you were threatening to blow up their thing and he's like oh i just simply pointed out the uh the combustibility of the establishment and he's <laughs> like no that's the same thing boyd but uh i'm trying to think of what else uh who is the guy that Tim has, like, a rivalry with that always wears the sunglasses? Who always wears the sunglasses? Yeah, the one that has a cough. Oh, oh, that's in the fourth season. I forget his name, but he works for Boyd. Um, he's only featured in the fourth season. So, well, their um, rivalry that- is great. That was a great um, kind of dynamic there because, in a way, uh, this guy, which uh, Colt, his name was Colt. Colt yeah, that sounds was, right. Colt was almost Tim's version, say, of Boyd, you know, where Raylan had Boyd, where it's like he was an enemy, but also he respected him. I'm going to say what I said last time <laughs> the silly Ray Cyrus looking motherfucker. <laughs> That's exactly what he looks like. Y'all look up Colt from Justified and tell me if he does not look like Billy Ray Cyrus. He looks a little like Billy Ray Cyrus. I will give that to you. Will you give that to me? Thank you. I'll I'll give that to you. Yeah, no. To me, it is not about Raylan at all, which they gave him, like, so much screen time. It wasn't really one of those, like, kind of shows where – uh, everyone was like equally distributed the spotlight. It really kind of is all on Raylan, which I'm like, I'm sorry, no offense to Timothy Oliphant, but I couldn't give a shit less about Raylan. To me, I needed more Tim. I needed more Rachel. Rachel and Tim's relationship was hilarious because um, they both are like on the outside looking in, pretty much of Raylan's dumb shit all the time. And then of course, <laughs> and then of course Boyd was hilarious. I have to say really quick, Brittany, is that a reason why I watched that show Righteous Gemstones yesterday that I was talking to you about in the pre-show was because Walton, I want to say Walter, but Walton Goggins (laughs) plays a pretty (laughs) significant, plays a pretty significant role in it. And he is fucking hilarious. Like just think the typical, like characterization and over exaggeration of these uh televised evangelists and there you go. <laughs> oh man. Speaking about te- televised evangelists and stuff, um I I had a lady one time, she was like, Oh yeah, you know, I know I have the power because I touched a woman and her cancerous tumor fell off and I was like, Oh, Okay, yeah, I believe it. 
I mean, I don't. I did not believe it. I was, I was very afraid. like staring at her, like maybe you shouldn't be touching people if their tumors are falling off of them. For one thing, and then two, I'm pretty sure you had nothing to do with that lady. With that, I think that we should move on, Brittany. Yeah, you heard the evangelist thing. No, I just said uh, that I could go on and on for three hours of how ridiculous and how much of a scam I think all of that is. So to not get wound up about it, let's move on. Uh, Brittany, what's your number eight? I'm, like, looking at my list. Do you ever stare at it and you try to figure out, man, where do I want to put everything? But you know what? Because I haven't seen the movie in a long time, and you'll have to help me along with it. I just remember it being so good. But I'm going to mm-hmm. go with Zodiac. Because wow. we love ourselves some uh, Robert Downey Jr. And what Jake Gyllenhaal was in that, right? Not, not just Robert Downey Jr., Jake Gyllenhaal, and Mark Ruffalo. What the hell? I forgot about Mark Ruffalo. And I remember as a kid, quick interjection, when somebody was showing me it for the first time as a kid, I was like, what's Iron Man doing in here? And the Hulk. But now, <laughs> wait, now we have Jake Gyllenhaal. We have Mysterio, Iron Man, and the Hulk. It's Congratulations. <laughs> but oh I love it. It's all about, uh, oh, if I could have remembered his name, I was going to say the politician that everybody says is the Zodiac Killer. I was going to go, it's about. Oh, God, yeah. Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This movie is about Ted Cruz killing people. He's the Zodiac no, Killer. Not, I think it was supposed to be his dad, because obviously Ted Cruz would be too young. I think they were saying that his dad was a <laughs> 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 Oh, quick thing. Quick thing. Have you seen that little video where somebody's holding up a picture of him that says Zodiac Killer? And you can see Ted Cruz make eye contact with it and just almost <laughs> get this defeated look. Like, fuck, it followed me. But also, like, okay, that's a good one. <laughs> I see but, it. Uh, but a Zodiac Killer, yeah. I love it's just this obsession with, you can feel the desperation behind all of these characters. That you know, the Zodiac Killer was the guy that he did a string of murders through like the late 1960s to early 1970s, I believe. And nobody could ever figure out who it was. But he published things in the newspaper like saying, oh, I'll kill more people if you don't publish this. And uh, there's a cartoonist that I believe is uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and then the crime reporter is Robert Downey Jr., if I believe. But it's Mm -hmm. everybody's fascination with this case. And then on your end, as the viewer, you're watching these murders happen, but you never see the murderer's face. And, you know, they almost have one survivor, but she dies two days later. Uh, all these things keep mixing up. Nobody believes, because uh, the political cartoonist, he ends up saying, hey, that the first letter that's all messed up and everything, he was like, it's not alluding to his identity. It's just, you know, basically him being an asshole. <laughs> but uh, 
it's just interesting watching everybody's fascination with the, this case. And it ends up, the political cartoonist Jake Gyllenhaal's character, I think he ends up being so obsessed with it. He loses his job. He loses his wife. And she takes his kids. Um and then at the very end, there's, like, a guy that they believe is him. And, you know, he ends up to go make eye contact with him. And the guy dies before they can persecute him. And that a lady, like, picked him. Or a lady or a guy, I can't remember what the name was. Ends up picking him out of, like, a mugshot lineup of the one that attacked them. And so it's just, but he ends up dying before they can ever persecute it. And there was no more murders after that. And you can just feel the frustration. And, you know, for being a movie that's scary and, you know, dealing with the, I do this one because it's the law enforcement aspect of everybody being involved to solve this case and just how much it affected them, which is what I could only imagine for people that are truly in those cases, how they must feel being so close, feeling like they're on the brink of figuring it out but getting, like, bested at every turn. So I'm going to go with the Zodiac. I don't know if you remember at the end of that movie, though, Jake Gyllenhaal is in some sort of hardware store and made contact with this guy that they had previously questioned, and that's how it ends. Because in real life, they have never caught the Zodiac killer. And I think when I watched the film, it was very good. I remember thinking, okay, this is why this movie receives so many awards, receives so much um, uh, praise from critics, but then being frustrated because there really felt like there was no conclusion at the end of all of it, simply because they had no real-life inspiration on how to end it, pretty much. But... Um, I think both Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr.'s character ends up losing their jobs uh, because Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who originally was kind of, if I remember, very skeptical, he too ends up diving over the deep end. Uh, But yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal's character becomes utterly obsessed. I think to the point, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong because it has been a little bit since I've seen the movie, that people almost start accusing him because why is he so obsessed? Um, and then I think, but I'm, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just to say really quick on your point where you were saying like how, you know, I don't know if they ever found him. It was, I was reading a summary on it because I couldn't remember either. I don't know if they just pointed out that in real life, Alan, the Alan was the name of the guy, the hardware guy where they make eye contact that uh, beforehand, you know, the person had ended up picking out that picture from the mugshot, but then at the bottom it said that Alan died before any further investigation could ensue, uh, and mm-hmm. and I wonder if that was added in for the real-life fact or if maybe it was added somewhere in as, like, like you know how it's some movies, where, uh, crime movies, where they type it in, like, and Alan died before... They could ever conclude the investigation. It is pretty freaking crazy. Um, I, I think that this is a brilliant movie, and I think certainly does belong on this list because it isn't just a movie about, say, a serial killer, because partly the story surrounding the Zodiac really 
touches upon how much it drove the freaking police force crazy um, that I think everyone all over the country was involved, that uh, police force, you know, not only were they working incredibly hard, but uh, it was almost like an embarrassment for them. You know, they're trying to, you know, supposed to be keeping people safe, and this pretty much average Joe is besting them and staying one step ahead of them at all times. And I almost oh, want to yeah. say that it is very much uh, from the time, because I do believe that there could be a chance that if something like that happened today, we would have been able to catch him, you know, much easier. But considering the technology of the time, the limited resources, the, you know, I don't even think they really had DNA testing back then. Uh, uh, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. Um, you have to wonder about how good these guys must have been back in the day to even find as much as they did. But then you have to think about all the people that were falsely in prison and, you know, they couldn't get exonerated by any additional evidence that they didn't do it. And you think about it, that's a scary time. You know, I think that's part of the reason why um, we talk about in this day and age, we're like, why does it feel like things are getting worse? And it's like, well, one, we hear about it more, but also they're catching these people and linking, oh, that it was one person doing multiple instead of just, like, say, in a big city where people die, and you're like, oh, it was this or that. You know, well, the woman was a prostitute, you know, and sometimes those were murdered. Those people were murdered. And it's like, no, there's some uh, bad people out in this world, Tia. Well, I'm going to throw out another honorable mention really quick, but Mindhunter, which is a really good show on Netflix. Um, and in the first, so in the first two seasons, obviously they are trying to essentially um, create a bureau for uh, studying serial killers and their behavior because prior to that people were just, well, they're bad. They're bad, they were born bad, and that's all you need to know. And the, these group of people were like, no, we need to study the psychology. We need to study this, we need to study that in order to really help catch these people. It cannot be something as simple as they're just bad. What caused them to get here? What's their MO? You know, what's their personality? So yeah. in in the show, the Zodiac Killer has already happened, and at this point they're dealing with the BTK uh, killer. Oh, yeah, who, that was big. Who also uh, wrote uh, letters and had his own symbol. And I want to say it's almost like interesting because they're talking to these other serial killers throughout the shows um, and trying to ask them what their opinion is on the BTK killer. And all of them kind of like, oh, he's so unoriginal. He's just trying to be the Zodiac. Oh, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like, it's almost kind of, like, funny. I know that sounds bad, but they, like, literally introduce, they literally talk to, like, the son of Sam. They talk to these others, and they're like, okay, well, what do you think of this? And they're like, oh, yeah, this unoriginal fucker. <laughs> when you think about it, well, it makes it feel, like, oddly, like, how they're almost disconnected to what they're doing. Because you think about it, it's almost like a bunch of YouTubers or streamers talking about a new person on the game. And they'd be like, oh, they're still an original. You know, someone already did that. They're not being innovative. You know what I mean? Almost 
smugness to it. And it seems so uh, normal when they say it that way. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I just need to throw that out there really quick since we were talking about Zodiac. But I love this movie so much. And Brittany, you definitely need to watch Mindhunter as well. But, yeah. Oh, I know. I love serial killers. I mean, I don't love them, but I love, I love to, I said that on a stream the other day, and someone said, uh-oh, I'm unfollowing, which they didn't, but I was like, oh no. You know, all right, one last thing before I move on, what's really cool about Mindhunter, besides just, like, really fantastic writing, is how well they portray each and every serial killer. Every serial killer that they interview is a real-life serial killer. Look up the pictures of the real-life ones. They get people who look exactly like them and ask exactly their mannerisms. They got someone in the – the guy who plays Son of Sam looks exactly like him, and then they got someone to play Charles Manson in the second season who not only looks identical – but the mannerisms and the talking is on fucking oh. point. It's so good. Anyway, Nothing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's move on uh, just because, um, you know, that way we get everything going. Um, my, okay, number seven. Right. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Um, I know that this could be a little higher but considering I've only seen one season of it, so I can't judge it as a whole, I'm just going to put it at the number seven. And we always talk about how this list isn't really in order anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to put the third season of True Detective because it was so freaking good. So... Uh, we have Marashala Ali, which I never know if I'm saying his name right, and I apologize about that. But we have Marashala Ali as the main character. And what's so interesting about True Detective is that, especially in the third season, it takes place essentially over three time periods. And each time period, we see how his character, who plays the detective, is obsessed with this one case that he caught nearly 30-something years ago. And it's all about uh, this guy, Tom Purcell, who's played by Scoot McNary. Um, oh, we love his, some Scoot. <laughs> and how his two kids went uh, disappeared one day. And the son turns up dead. And then you never see the kid again, uh, the girl again. And you just see the timeline, how things have transformed, how it has uh, affected, say, Marashala Ali. Not only has it affected him, it has affected his wife because his wife, you find out, has written a book on the missing case because it pretty much rocked the freaking town. They're in Arkansas. So this shit is big. Um, And there are all these, like, little ins and outs twists that you never expect. Um, the current timeline, Marashala is playing an old man. I mean, he's pretty much, you know, towards the end of his life. He obviously has Alzheimer's um, to the point where he has to take breaks because he's forgetting things. He has to 
make little tape recordings of himself uh, to remind him the next day of what they happened. Um, and the way that it ends is incredibly like a mindfuck and a little bit frustrating. Um, Paulie and I watched the third season over one day, and when it ended, Paulie was like, that's how it ends. He goes, I wasted all this time on this ending. <laughs> and it was a little bit of a letdown, but very much like a, like the end of Inception, you know, how you're just like, wow, like mind blown type of thing. But it definitely was frustrating. But uh, Marshall Ali, of course, was brilliant in it. He is a fantastic actor, just completely captured uh, him as the detective. Uh, this complex, like, he was not always, say, the quote unquote good guy, even though he was a detective. You know, he had a short temper, he was a little bit stern with his wife, even though she gave it back to him, of course. You know, they did not have, say, the ideal relationship, even though when you see him as an old man, it's obvious that his wife has passed. And, you know, she's, he's always, you know, like, I miss you. You know, like he's talking to the book at some point. He's like, I wish you still could have been here. You know, so he obviously loves his life. But looking back, like, through the different points that it does, you see, like, their relationship was certainly certainly not perfect. And then you get the dynamic between him and his kids, him and his partner, the race tensions of the 1980s in Arkansas, um, you know, and just all these different dynamics in it are so freaking good. And again, I want to say the race tensions because there's a character in the season who's Native American who's just trying to make a living by, say, you know, picking up scraps and selling them. And everyone in the town's like, oh, you know, he snoops around, everyone's garbage. So he has to be the one who, you know, is involved in these kidnappings when he really had nothing to do with it at all. He's like, I was in the Vietnam War. I fought for this country. And this is how people, you know, treat me. And it's very much almost also like how it is with Marshala Ali's character. Because again, being an African-American man in Arkansas in the 1980s, you know, and he was in the Vietnam War, but still kind of gets a little bit of the same treatment to the point where, you know, there's that clip that I show you with Scoot McNary's character, Tom, and the other detective, which I forget his name now, but uh, Tom Purcell kind of, you know, says something about Marsha Ali's character who calls him the N-word. And the cop pretty much is like, you know, well, that guy is, pretty much one of the only ones who's out there trying to look for your fucking kids. So you might want to, like, check yourself with that language. And then I see how, like, um, sad Tom is over kind of catching himself with that incredibly outdated racism. So the whole season, even though the way it ended was a bit frustrating, was really interesting and in finding out what actually happened to the daughter <laughs> and the reason why they went missing, the reason why the son was killed is really intense. So uh, True Detective Season 3 is going to be my pick for number 7. Uh, Brittany, I know you haven't seen it, but based on what I've said, you know, kind of what are your thoughts? I was going to say, it is a quick point because it's like, Arkansas doesn't pop up a lot in shows, 
But it's like, I live in a good city, which I won't say the name because it's a little small town. But, uh, you know, and that's not as big a thing here as I know the South gets a a reputation for, which it's well-deserved from the past. But I get how they would add that in, especially into the 80s, because I think the remember what the city is called. I think it's Harrison, Arkansas, is like the birthplace of the KKK. So that was a thing. And also, I drove through there not so long. And you want to know the most disturbing thing? It's when you look around everything and everyone, there's not a single person that's ethnic. There's no one that is uh, black. There is no one that is Asian, Hispanic. There and it and you don't realize how much you everybody blends together when your town has more people, but then you go to a town where there is no one. It's disturbing, and they have like an alt right radio station. So for them to add that into the Arkansas thing is very very fair, especially uh you know Little Rock had their segregation issue that we still talk about. With uh, I know we hear the story of like in uh, Forrest Gump with the uh, with the segregation part. Uh, I think it was Alabama, Arkansas had its version of that. So I definitely get it. It is interesting getting to see that show through a different lens of being raised here, which I thought is accurate. But the whole show just sounds depressing. Because all you want is Scoot McNary to find his daughter because his son's obviously dead and, you know, everybody going through everything. And I think my brain just focuses in on Scoot because, how depressed, you know, and I guess that's real life. People's kids go missing and they may never find him, but it's so much more heartbreaking that he knows she's still alive, that she's out there, that she denies that, you know, that's her father, you know, because she's been brainwashed, and it's just horribly, horribly depressing to you. Thanks for bumming well, me out. Well, yeah, because at some point um, at the 10-year mark, they find footage of Tom Purcell's daughter because she was caught shoplifting. And at that point, um, Tom Purcell makes a plea on TV for her to come home. And she calls into the police line anonymously, pretty much saying, like, tell that man to stop looking for me. He is not my father, yada, yada. And you pretty much find later on that it was all due to brainwashing. Um, And this whole very complicated um, uh, thing that I'm not necessarily going to go into pretty much, but, yeah. Oh, so, Brittany, I just looked up as I wanted to. Um, filming for this took place in several places in Arkansas. Uh, Fayetteville was one of them. Uh, There was a a view of Mount Sequoia from the campus of the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And where else does it say? It's pretty interesting. Uh, Northwest Arkansas, including Fayetteville, Bentonville, Lincoln, Rogers, and Springdale. So there you go. Okay. They, they did all, uh, I think Fayetteville is northern, pretty far away. I'm trying to remember because it's in the direction of Little Rock from me and then up. Like, it's a, a, no, 
No, I think I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong on that. My geography is bad, especially because I know the ways to get. I know. You ever have like you know the way to get there in your brain because you've driven there so many times? But let me just tell you, if you get motion sick, do not drive to Fayetteville because it is nothing but winding mountain roads that make you car sick even as the driver. So yeah, there you go. But Fayetteville. Is absolutely beautiful. So I well, am glad that they chose somewhere scenic for it. <laughs> well, I will say really quick that when we used to go to your lake house in Arkansas, that road got me every single time. There were definitely times where I was like, I'm going to throw up. Like, it's definitely going to happen. <laughs> oh, so that's, <laughs> the, that's the direction you take to get to Fayetteville from where I live. So imagine that, but for four hours. Yeah, no, thank you. Fuck that. Um, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, Brittany, let's move on just uh, so that we get everything down. Um, what's your number six for us? I'm going to do this one, and I might go through it a little faster just so we can get everything in, because we are like, what, is this number six, and we still only we only have an hour left? Yeah, that's why I was like, all right, let's go a little quicker here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go with Sicario because I love that movie, but you definitely have a lot of the law enforcement aspects, but almost the dirty copness, which I guess they're they're like a version of dirty cops. Basically the main female character, uh, I can't remember what level she worked with, but they involve her with this task force to go to Mexico. I'm going to like kind of abbreviate the plot, summarize it because, it is a long, wild ride. Basically, though, the CIA was going to get involved because they want to make it where Mexico only has one cartel to lead everything. The Medellin? I can't remember. It's like M-E-D-E-L-L-I-N. They want them the to have Medellin. full control of Mexico. What was that? The, Medi- the Medellin is in <laughs> Colombia. Well, see, they were saying that they were the one uh, that controlled it when I was rereading the plot for everything, that apparently they used to control most of everything in Mexico, and that they mm-hmm. wanted that things were a lot easier to control when it was just them there. Uh, mm-hmm. So they end up basically wanting to put this other cartel back into power, and you have Alejandro, which is such a very suave, sexy name, that uh, he is a hitman for the the Medellin uh, that is basically on this quest to make sure that this happens because the U.S. government has gotten involved with making this happen. But you find out that Alejandro, the whole reason that he's wanting to be a part of this organization is because the head of the family of the current cartel leader uh, is the one that ordered for his family to be murdered, uh, his wife and daughter, because he was a lawyer in Mexico. So uh, he ends up having a vendetta. But it is just brutal because the female character, she she's going through a male-dominated world, and she has to be tough. But there's even a scene that Alejandro is like, you know, this is a, a world of wolves and you are a sheep or something like that. And I was like, ooh. Oh my! But um, so ends up going through the whole movie. That, that there is no happy ending. 
the, the CIA end up getting exactly what they wanted. Uh, Alejandro holds the gun to, to uh, the female character, which I can't remember her name right now. Emily Blunt. Oh, yes, yes. Makes her sign a paper saying that everything was done legally, and she's so upset, goes to shoot at him, but can't bring herself to do it. But it's just like, you know, normally in these types of movies, uh, the good law enforcement always wins, and, you know, they people end up getting what they deserve. But that's not how this movie is. The bad methods end up working. They get exactly what they want, and the female character, or Emily Blunt, is is basically screwed over. And they used her as bait at some point. John Brinsel's in there. Mm-hmm. And the dirty cop named Ted. And they start to get it on before she realizes, oh, no, he's a dirty cop. Maybe I shouldn't have sex with him. So, yeah, there's Sicario for you. I tried to abbreviate it because it, I'm glad I went with that one to talk about as the abbreviated one because it is such a long plot. It is very much a long plot, and I'll comment on the fact that, you know, you do have Emily Blunt's character who's brought in, and you almost, like, kind of wonder, like, why is she brought in? Because they pretty much don't tell her anything. They don't they don't let her do anything. They're pretty much like, oh, this is a boy's uh, world. This is kind of like, you know, we're in the know. You don't need to be in the know. And then you kind of find out that, She's really there just to sign off to make sure that everything's all, you know, kosher, pretty much. Um, and which is messed up because that really, you know, she was looking forward to this. It was uh, very much a uh, a promotion for her. And if anything, ended up kind of invalidating uh, her position, you know. And you have Josh Brolin's character, Benicio Del Toro, who I absolutely loved his whole journey in this movie and how, you know, brutal he was towards the end, especially when he was able to confront the man who ordered his family's execution. Because if I'm not mistaken, doesn't he end up killing that guy's kids and wife? I mean, it is not a happy movie. He has two young sons. It is not a happy movie where you're like, oh, he's going to have a code. He's going to rise above. He's going to be like Frank Castle, you know, uh, kills the man but spares the wife and kids. And it's like, no, no, he kills everyone. He don't give a shit. Um, yeah, much- the guy has two sons, and one of them's like, like almost a teenager, and the other one's young, like eight or nine. And so, yeah, it's yeah. not cute. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Daniel Kaluuya is in this film as well. He was uh, Emily's once original partner who she kind of was like, I don't come unless he comes with me pretty much. Uh, but the two of them are essentially stonewalled the whole entire movie. And yeah, it, it definitely doesn't have a happy ending. It very much reeks of corruption and dirty work, how essentially you would kind of imagine that it works you know, because maybe playing by the book doesn't essentially work when you're coming, when it comes to dealing with, say, these really powerful and dangerous cartels. And I guess it kind of makes sense about the Medellin because that was Pablo Escobar's uh, cartel, you know, and then obviously probably once he was killed, uh, it kind of spread out and maybe that's 
you know, more of like a say a real life reason for all of this. But that would make yeah. sense to me. Right, and again, you have uh, John Bernthal's character shows up there, which, you know, it's like, man, you guys should have gotten it on, had some really hot sex, and, you know, all <laughs> us females. All us females she is like, I'm thirsty for it. Let me have it. <laughs> you know, and, but uh, i got to say, that, like, fight scene was pretty fucking epic, too, and it would have fucking Benicio Del Toro comes out of nowhere and just, like, John Bernthal's character is like, oh, shit, I fucked up. <laughs> um, Can we talk about that they wet William super hard and that's such I, an awkward thing, but also <laughs> ends up looking painful as hell? I know, I know. It's like, I guess in uh, in that case, all torture is on the table and it all is Jeez, No kidding. But I do love the end of that movie where Benicio Del Toro, um, you know, almost has this, like, affection for her, but at the same time very much like, I'm not going to take it easy on you. This is how it is. And there is no, uh, say, negotiating or anything like it. You're going to sign this paper, and that's what it is. And I felt so bad for Emily Blunt's character in that. I did, too. She just got fucked over the entire time, and no good came out of it. Exactly. But I love your pick for number six. Um, Just in the interest of time, I am going to move on to the next one. Did you have any uh, comments that you want to kind of finish off with Sicario? No, ma'am. All righty. So I'm going to do the number five, and it's going to be um, it's going to be a pick that uh, was originally on Brittany's list, and I kicked myself for not picking this. And then Brittany was very gracious and said that I could get it. So thank you, Brittany. Because um, it's going to be thank you, thank you. It's going to be the killing, uh, and the killing was a show uh, a few years ago that ran for four seasons and stars Joel Kinnaman and Marielle Enos. And I love this show. I love this show. I especially love the first two seasons of this show. I thought they were so well done. Um, And, you know, it's crazy because I read that this show almost got canceled a thousand times before it actually got canceled. I didn't understand why because I thought it was so well done. It takes place in Seattle. You have Marielle Enos' character who plays Lyndon, and she is a cop who is about to pretty much retire and move um, with her fiancé to start a new life. And you essentially find out that um, she kind of needs this, but <laughs> because she gets very, her whole thing is that she gets very obsessive with cases and isn't, say, necessarily that strong in a mental capacity. You know, she's a single mother. Uh, who struggles kind of with being a mother because of her obsessive nature with her cases. She really has a hard time separating, uh, you know, the job from her life. And then you have uh, Joel Kinnaman's character who plays Holder, and he comes from narcotics, who's now in homicide, and he is so the opposite of Lyndon, where Lyndon's very uptight and very, you know, stick in the mud, you know, stick up the ass type person. Holter is very relaxed, very last, uh, very hilarious. And you find out that uh, Holter had a former meth 
addiction from his days on narcotics, so he's also stayed working with himself. And it should have been a short partnership because he came in essentially as Lyndon was leaving, but because her superior asked her to stay on for one last case, um, that pretty much spinned it out of control. The first two seasons were stuck on this one case. She ends up losing her fiancé, um, and they end up remaining partners, essentially. And even though, even in, say, season three, where it starts off where they're not partners, because then she did really say retire, she comes back, um, and they end up working again with each other. And you just find that the two of them need each other. They are opposites attract. They are, and they never truly get together. Like there's none of that. Like at some point in the third season, when Holder, well, so there's at some point in the third season where Holder's feeling very bad about himself, and he tries to kiss her, and she kind of pulls back. Um, but then at the end of the fourth season, which I guess spoiler alert, but it's been out long enough. Um, at the end of the fourth season. She is going to leave. She goes to say goodbye to Holder one last time, um, and she goes to leave, and then she turns back around, and the two of them hug. And I heard apparently there was a deleted scene where they kiss. So she pretty much, like, comes back for Holder because I think finally realized that after all this bullshit that the two of them belong to each other. But, yeah, the show, what I loved about it was gripping. It was incredibly gripping because the first two seasons is all about at first, the missing case of Rosie Larson and then the killing of Rosie Larson. Every time you think that this show is going to go in one direction, it goes in the complete opposite direction. It is not afraid to show emotion. Um, you think that maybe at first when she goes missing, you're going to find her or something like that. They don't. Uh, the person who ended up killing her is completely not who you would have expected to kill her. And I just think it's really smart writing. It was really good writing. I'll admit that I didn't necessarily like the fourth season because it went in a very different direction because the show was canceled after three seasons on AMC and then Netflix picked it up for a fourth season uh, to kind of round it all out. And it was just not as good, but I still remained at the first two seasons. And even the third season was amazing too, because we had Peter Sarsgaard come in as a guest actor and probably gave the best performance that not only Peter Sarsgaard has ever played, but one of the best performances that I've ever seen in TV ever. So, yeah, the first three seasons, I still will remain. It's some of the best writing that I've ever seen. And for anyone who sits there and says that Joel Kinnaman can't act, because there's some real Joel Kinnaman haters out there, for anyone who says that Joel Kinnaman can't act, I encourage you, I challenge you to watch The Killing. He's amazing in it. So uh, thank you, Brittany, for letting me talk about The Killing, and I'll let you uh, take it over right now. (laughs) Well, I just knew I wouldn't do as much justice as you would have. I would have been like, Tia, I chose The Killing. You explain it. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, no, I I love that show. Uh, It's definitely like your Okay, let's talk about, uh, is it Sarsgaard? Because there's Skarsgård and there's Sarsgaard. He is Sarsgaard. There is no K. He is not related to Alexander Skarsgaard and that family. All the brothers, that, that acting yeah. uh, family. No, his performance 
and that scene that I won't go into because it makes me depressed. That was heart wrenching. Like I still kind of makes me sick to my stomach every time we talk about it because it's just so sad. Uh, which one was it that Holder ends up getting like readdicted? Because that season shouldn't exist. Um. Well, in the third. No, is it the third? No, the fourth season. It's the fourth season. In the fourth season, Holzer ends up going back to meth briefly. Um, and he's just a dick. He's just a dick because of it. Oh, no. I remember because I was just like, man, I was like, why does they have to make him go back? Which I believe is realistic because most people that do quit, they end up relapsing at least a few times. So it is realistic, but I was like, no, not our holder, not our sweet cinnamon roll. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, because prior to that, he's like, he's like the shittiest vegetarian ever because he he's a, he says he's a vegetarian, but he eats uh, pork rinds and shit like that, you know. But he's like, which is hilarious. Like what? Like pig skin? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, but he's like the guru giving Lyndon you know, advice all the time, and then, I don't know, I, I did not like the fourth season, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, but Lyndon was intense. She, she was, was very intense. Like, she stressed me out when I watched her, I was like, but also they, like, kept her there, like, she wanted to leave and be done with it, and I'm like, oh, no, you gotta finish this one case, this, like, mega unsolved case before you can go. Well, and that's the thing is, like, it is crazy. It's like, oh, can you work this one case? And it's like she was supposed to get married. She was supposed to, you know, do all these things. Um, and then the case just kept taking. And But you also kind of find out that, like, there was a part of her that maybe didn't want to say no. Because her fiancé said, like, you could have just said no. You could have just been like, no, I'm leaving. You're the one who said yes, like. You had already put your papers in. You had already quit, you know, or, like, you know, given notice and everything. You could have gotten away from all of that. But there's a part of Lyndon that I don't believe ever wanted to stop. And I don't think anything really could have made her stop, not her fiancé, not her son, not really anyone. That was her life, and that was almost her addiction. I mean, we see her going into a fucking uh, psychiatric hospital for a second because of it. But, yeah, to me, their performances were so good. Lyndon definitely was abrasive sometime and uh, not easy to deal with at all. And, uh, you know, Holder may have not been the uh, – Holder was also not the, uh, what you call it, the most empathetic or sensitive person at first because he came from narcotics. So he needed to certainly be groomed in many ways. Uh, what and is the you say? Huh? What does Carisi say? Uh, empathy, and, empathy and moody, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. That's um. Yeah, but the, the third season, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, just that got me every single time. For those who maybe don't know, I'll briefly say that he plays a man on death row who um, – you know, you end up finding out did not actually kill his wife, but for most of the season, because Peter Sarsgaard's character has kind of resigned himself to accept the fact that 
no one is interested in hearing his side of the story. No one is interested in proving him innocent. And he will always be a member of the system and will die, you know, because of it. He almost just stops caring. He, you know, uh, almost like kind of mocks the fact that he did it, even though he didn't. And then you um, kind of watch him as the season goes on, you know, now dealing with the fact that, wow, he's, he's going to be executed and not wanting to be executed because now people are finally listening to him and finally willing to um, accept the fact that maybe he didn't commit this crime. And the final episode of him in it um, and just the back and forth of is a judge going to, you know, allow uh, a stay or is he going to be proven innocent and all that. It's just such an emotional back and forth. And you're right. It is so, I'm going to say it really quick, just again, for time's sake, because, but I think we're doing all right after number four, I think we'll be back on track. Uh, but, um, you know, at some point his character asks Lyndon um, or expresses to Lyndon that if he's going to be, if he's going to die, he wants to die quickly because he's in the state that they're in in Seattle at least at that time, you had a choice whether you were killed by lethal injection or hanging. It was one of the states that you could still request a hanging. And because he kind of wanted to be an FU to everyone, he requested a hanging. And it was too late to turn back. And now he's realizing how scared he is because he's saying, you know, if the weight is off and the drop is off, it's not going to snap my neck. I'm just going to dangle there, you know, suffocating. And that's what scared him the most. He didn't want to just dangle and suffocate. Um, and, yeah, that was really sad because that's exactly what ends up happening. So, yeah. Oh, I'm depressed. It is incredibly depressing, but one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite Joel Kinnaman shows, um, and I just think that this is a wonderful show to be on our top ten cop shows and movies, which we're doing a lot of shows, but I love it. So, um, Brittany, thank you for letting me have the killing, and we'll move right along with our number four, which is uh, for you. You know, I was torn between which one I wanted to do, but since we're doing so many shows, I'll go ahead and throw in my movie one. And I talk about this movie multiple, multiple times. I warned you, anytime I am capable of adding this movie in, I will. (laughs) It's going to be Silence of the Lambs, which is technically a law enforcement movie, if you think about it, a a crime solving. So I'm adding it. Do I sound defensive yet? A little, a little. A little. uh, Well, uh, as most people that have seen Silence of the Lambs know, it's about Clarice Sterling, who is a FBI trainee. She is not through the academy yet, but she gets tasked with what she assumes is just to ask uh, Hannibal Lecter, which I think we all know who Hannibal Lecter is, um, (laughs) about asking him a series of questions, but she doesn't know that her soon-to-be boss put her up to it because he knew that Hannibal would be able to sniff out her asking questions about a different case if he just put her out there. So he almost put her out as, like, innocent bait for Hannibal to get kind of, like, attached to. 
which now I gotta watch the movie again. I get chills every time I talk about it. <laughs> but uh, basically, this almost friendship forming between them as they're trying to find uh, Wild Bill, uh, which I think that's what he's trying. No, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. He's, I was I, gonna I'm say he's Buffalo Bill. Yeah, Somebody Buffalo Bill. Bill. But too many bills, especially in the Wild West. Uh, because which the guy got the name because he is skinning his victims, and you find out later that he is making a flesh bodysuit out of it, which is great. We love it. Um, <laughs> but it's about Clarice also going through this male-dominated world with it, and how she's almost ignored. But she there's even a scene where there's a victim in the body bag. Who's a woman, and which in bad taste, uh, they call the guy Buffalo Bill because they say he likes his hump, which is a, uh, like it's hinting back to he only kills heavier people because he starves them so their skin is loose so he can make a better suit out of it, which is fucking awful. Uh, but so there's a scene that there's all these male cops are just, uh, and agents are just eating donuts around this body bag, like, just totally disrespectful, and she adds in the empathy of, like, hey, guys, you know, thank you for doing your due diligence finding the body, but, uh, you know, we have an investigation to do, and they just kind of stare at her, but they slowly leave, because they're like, I don't know what what she's all up in the air about, I don't know why she's pissed off, but, uh, but also the friendship between Hannibal Lecter and her is so interesting and his almost obsession with also he wants to help her. He wants to because even the fact that he cares about uh, Silence of the Lambs, the, the whole thing comes from Clarice has nightmares about the li- the lambs. The lambs. Sorry, I can't talk. Uh, the lambs crying and how she just wants them to be quiet. And it's just like... It's, and he's like, tell me, Clarice, are they quiet? Or something like that. I can't remember how it goes, even though I've seen this movie a million times. But it's such an intense movie. I love it. It's like my number one forever. <laughs> even though it's not that. number one on this one. I love that every chance you get, you throw in Silence of the Lambs. But I remember that I did not originally watched I've really never watched this movie right up until a few years ago when I went over to your house and believe me I had known about the movie I mean you kind of were living under a rock if you've never say heard of Silence of the Lambs or didn't know anything about it which is funny because I watched that movie uh, Hannibal with the young version of uh, Hannibal Lecter but never had actually seen Silence of the Lambs all the way through when you put it on for me, I was like, I understand. I understand now why, why this movie is so brilliant. And it is absolutely still phenomenal, still a classic. Um, Sir Anthony Hopkins uh, is just wonderful. Wonderful. Um, they all were so good. I loved it. I loved the acting. I loved the structure of it. Um, I think that you described it perfectly with the plot and the underlying of, you know, uh, Clarice being in a male-dominated um, career uh, and the disrespect that happens for people's bodies often and almost the, 
disrespect for women who are, say, heavier, how they're almost treated differently than, say, if, a, a, you know, a skinny woman was killed. You know, I, I love that. Young beauty uh, slain. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, oh, well, she had a few pounds on her, you know, who gives a fuck? So uh, I, I like that commentary on all of it and uh, just the relationship between Hannibal and Clarice because he's so intelligent. He's so intelligent that you're like, you're so wrapped up in it, even though this is a man who literally eats people. Color me turned on. No, I'm joking. joking. But two two things to add. One, a game I had been playing recently, Evil Within. There's a, a prof, not a professor, there's a doctor slash scientist in it that I'm pretty sure they modeled after Anthony Hopkins' face, Sir Anthony Hopkins. And I was like, is it just me or does this dude look like Anthony Hopkins? And someone was like, you know, he only plays good guys. But, uh, and then the, the second thing, oh, what was it? It's coming to me. Oh, it's about Anthony Hopkins. Oh, oh, there was a comedian that said, uh, "Do you ever see where they're like beauty slain?" He goes, and then you see a picture of them, and you're like, "How about dead body found?" And I'm like, "That's so awful. That's so messed up." Well, there, um, really quick, there was this. Uh, what's gonna call it? This, this show, um, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, on. Netflix, uh, the whole plot is like these, you know, four women or something found, you know, after some odd years in a bunker or whatever like that. And the the subheader on the news is like three white women found, but in other news, like millions of children of color still missing and no one gives a fuck pretty much. Like I'm giving a shortened version of that, but you know, it, it does definitely uh, show the media's uh, how how they pick and choose pretty much who they want the public to really care about when it's like, you know, you should care about all of them. And it is very disrespectful that we choose to be so distraught over some people, but then not distraught of, over others because they don't look certain ways. I agree. But I love Silence of the Lands. I love that this is your pick. Um, one day we're just going to have to have a whole podcast where we just talk about Silence of the Lambs. And I'll let you go. Oh, that my God. Can we do top ten moments of Silence of the Lambs? Please. I'm got, Please. We can. We can. I'm just going to have Thank to rewatch it. <laughs> Remind me, may, not next weekend, but maybe the weekend after that. We can Thank do the top God. ten moments. <laughs> you just have to remind me, Brittany. And remind me well in advance so that I can actually rewatch the movie. But. Um, great pick. Uh, I'm going to pick the number three, and it is going to be one of my all-time favorite uh, detective uh, crime-solving shows of all time that is actually uh, coming upon its 15th and final season, and it is Criminal Minds. Um, oh, goodness. Minds, yes. I think Criminal Minds is fantastic. Um which is so funny. I remember reading when it, I've watched it since the beginning, right? I took a few years off, I want to say, but I 
literally watched it when it premiered because I was living at home with my parents, obviously, 15 years ago. Um, we saw the preview for it. We were like, this looks good. And I remember we watched the premiere episode live, right? And I read from the actor who plays Spencer Reeves, Matthew Gray Gubler, that when they were filming, some of the crew, you know, because they work on other shows, obviously, told them that they probably were going to get canceled within a week and that they shouldn't pack. I mean, they shouldn't unpack. And here they are 15 years later. Um, I, I love that the show is all about really getting into the mind of these killers. It is not afraid to really just dig deep, tell these really gruesome uh, stories and everything. And if you're a fan of, say, Mindhunter, you would like Criminal Minds because whereas, say, Mindhunter talks about the real, um, you know, behavioral uh, analysis, uh, you know, squad or whatever, uh, Criminal Minds is all about the BAU, which didn't realize it's like the behavioral analysis science unit or something. And in Criminal Minds, it's the behavioral analysis unit. Um, Same thing. Their whole thing is about really getting into the mind of serial killers, really uh, just building a profile, going over who these people are, what their motivation is, what their personality is. And it's really good. Um, You know, they don't have, say, a lot of the same actors that they originally had. A lot of people have left throughout the years, but you still have Matthew Gray Gubler, who is fantastic. Um, You know, just so many good characters throughout the years and so many good hurts throughout the years. Um, Boy, Boy, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was going to say, you have Keith Carradine as Frank, uh, who literally took down Agent Gideon, who is supposed to be one of the best, uh, which, oh, another, you have Agent Rossi, who is fucking fantastic. Um, JJ, uh, all of them, Garcia, the, uh, all the dynamics that go into the show are just absolutely amazing. But yes, you have uh, George Foyette, who is literally, I still think, the best perp that they have ever featured on Criminal Minds. But even uh, Aubrey Plaza uh, played a very fantastic, uh, twisted killer who really, you know, threw, say, Spencer Reed for a loop. Um, you have Jane Lynch as a guest star that frequents the show. I just love Criminal Minds. It's so dark. It has so many fantastic uh, guest stars in it. Um, Robin Williams was in it one day. Uh, just so many good freaking actors that they've gotten in to kind of play these guest stars over the world, uh, over the years. And just how it both, it is very much a uh, week-to-week type show. Um, but then they do have, of course, arcs that last a few episodes, and then they'll call back a few things from maybe a season or two ago. And they're just really good. I really enjoy Criminal Lines. I think that, you know, it definitely deserves the 15 years that it's gotten. It's going to be a little sad when it ends because I don't know if we're ever going to get a show like that again. Um, but it, I think maybe it's certainly time for it to kind of go off air, but it is a really good show. And if it goes to show, say, how much research that the writers did into, say, 
all of these like killers and all of the behavioral stuff. Apparently I read that the reason why Mandy Patankin, who played Agent Gideon, the reason why he left is because he thought that every that the show was so sinister that he got tired of having to kind of look at dead bodies and look at all this research all day long because they oh, really gee. do. Yeah, apparently they do really extensive research for this. So um, I just love Chromalines. I certainly think that it is really fantastic, really just like, and there are certainly arcs throughout the season that go in directions that you would never expect it to. And it is certainly all about the actors and it is all about um, just the, the, the storyline. You know, it's so good. Like, and I love the things that it touches upon you have, and I'm sorry that I'm going on right now, but you have, no, um, get it girl. You have Spencer Reed who, you know, was a child prodigy, but he's constantly dealing with the fact that his mother has schizophrenia and he's worried at some point that that may be passed down to him. Um, And then she has dementia and he's afraid that that's going to be passed down to him. So he's constantly dealing with not only, say, the disrespect that comes from being so young and having a PhD. So people are constantly kind of, you know, teasing him um, and not taking him seriously, as well as the fact that he's maybe a little socially awkward, but now also dealing with his own, say, sanity on top of it. And then you have people like Garcia, who is the bigger girl who's very quirky. And there's this one episode where she finds this guy who's very dreamy and very handsome who wants to take him out, take her out on a date. And uh, Morgan, Derek Morgan, who is, you know, the heartthrob for like the first 11 seasons of the show, pretty much telling her like, oh, well, you better watch out. There might be something wrong with him. And she's like, why? because he wants to date me, because he wants to go out no. with someone like me. Is that what you mean? And he's, of course, like, no, that's not what I mean at all. And it's like, okay, but what did you mean? What other reason was there for it? So I, the little things like that is what makes me absolutely love the show. And then, of course, the heart-pounding moments, like, say, George Foyette getting Hotch's wife and killing her. Oh. <laughs> so... If you ever doubt that Tia's secretly evil, just replay that clip over and over again. And then Foyette goes on to the life. I wish I could clip that. I want to have it as my ringtone. <laughs> it's fictional, Brittany. We can laugh about these things. But yeah, my pick for number three is going to be Criminal Minds. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> oh, I love it. Because as soon as you said, I was like, Foyette, Foyette, Foyette. <laughs> he is the so best good. thing. Like, I know it's so messed up, but he was such a evil, calculating character that was so, so smart, so narcissistic, so on top of his freaking game. And I loved him uh I want to say, I loved him killing the wife. But no, that was such a big part. Like, when they do huge things like that that affect the outcome of the story for the rest of it, you can't magically bring Hodge's wife back. You can't bring in a twin. You can't do the, I mean, I guess if it was a soap opera, you could. But, I mean, that changed the the trajectory of the entire show. It's kind of like, 
William Lewis and everything, where they changed everything in the game. When you think of Criminal Minds, you think Foyette and Frank and all these other great characters that just make you go, Jesus, I'm very happy these guys haven't existed in real life, but I'm sure there's a version of them. Well, I will say that the Foyette um, plotline was in, like, season five, and I still think that to this day they have not dealt with a more dangerous person than him. He literally shot up a bus just so that he could make a point and write in blood his, like, signature pretty much. And as you said, like, so the that episode where he kills Hotch's wife is actually Criminal Minds' 100th episode. And the way it's done is so uh, just, you know, terrifying um, and intense because Hodges, um, not Hodges, sorry, Hodge is literally uh, listening to this happen on the phone. And you feel as helpless as he does. Um, They actually do, it's funny enough, bring Toyette back like a few seasons later because Hodge is in a coma. And he's literally imagining, like, himself at the theater with his wife. And as they're sitting down, Boyette comes and wraps his arm around uh, the wife. And he's like, hey, long time no see. And she's like, oh, it's no. so good seeing you here. <laughs> that no made me think of, what do you have in your hand? A knife. No. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, but Criminal Lines is just the fantastic show. Um, I'm interested in seeing how they decide to end it, what's going to happen. Uh, the last season ended off in a very uh, cliffhangerish way. Um, JJ and Spencer Reed might get together, which, believe me, they've been teasing since fucking season one um, that Spencer clearly has a crush on JJ and they've shown throughout the years the uh, immense friendship that they have, how Spencer Reed essentially has become like a pseudo father to uh, JJ's kid. Um, And then at the end of season 14, JJ uh, admitted her feelings to Spencer Reed, saying that uh, she has loved him for a very long time. Granted, they were both being held hostage, and the guy told <laughs> the guy told uh, them that they need to let out a piece of truth, and that was her truth there. So I don't know what's going to go on with uh, season fifteen, but yeah, uh, Criminal Minds is going to be my entry for the number three. And Brittany, we are down to the last two. Tell me what your number two is. I am going to go, and and I might say it a little quick because I know of the time constraints, but Narcos. Because if there is one law enforcement cop DEA show that should be on here, that's why I chose it over Silence of the Lambs. So Narcos, the people that made Narcos, if you're hearing this, I chose you over Silence of the Lambs, you better appreciate. But (laughs) I love Narcos. You have Murphy and Tanya, which, and this is a real-life story. I, some of it's fabricated, but a lot of it is real, about them trying to deal with the cocaine business in Colombia and find, uh, I can't think of his name right now, 
Wait a second. My brain went, yes, my brain went freaking blank. Toby jumped on me and his little claws sunk into me and distracted me. Um, freaking cats. But, to be no, fair, it's not they, hard to distract you. <laughs> uh, shut your mouth. But, okay, she, she might be a little bit right. But um, <laughs> them going through and trying to bring down the cocaine business and basically uh, – the whole thing is about them searching, which there is season two, which has Chepe in it, which That's is season the best three. Season, season three, three, gosh darn it. Well, he's the best thing of the whole show, so I count him for season nice. two, too, okay? But uh, <laughs> it's basically just going through. Uh, there are a lot of hard-hitting points. You know, Murphy gets to adopt a child. Uh, they make mention of Kiki. Uh, from Mexico for the reason they're like, oh, he died for uh, basically our sin so that, you know, because basically at that point the DEA could move around uh, Colombia easier because they are, what's the word for it? Because they fear what happened in Mexico after a DEA agent was killed there, but it is very interesting just to see their points. I'm stuttering because I'm trying to go through it fast so you have time to say you're uh, number one and do everything. But tell me how you feel about Narcos. So um, I love Narcos. One of my favorite things about especially the first two seasons of Narcos is how heavily influenced it is by real-life facts. The real-life agents, Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, uh, were very much involved in the first two seasons. So you know that it, my fa- this is my favorite thing because still to the same Colombia um, and maybe even in the whole Hispanic world, Pablo Escobar is very much a conflicting subject because while he did so many terrible things, he also opened up hospitals, schools, yada, yada, yada. But what Narcos does is show you that he only did those things because he had so much money that he needed to start pretty much uh, making excuses why he had so much money, you know, so that Mm -hmm. originally he did not get um, persecuted. He did terrible things. They show real-life footage of a plane that he literally blew up because he wanted to kill the uh, presidential candidate um, and ended up killing, like, children on it. What? Didn't that plane have children on it? Of course. It was just a regular commercial airline, just oh. as if you were coming from Arkansas to New York, you know? Um, he blew up uh, pharmacies near schools, you know, did a lot of messed up things. And there was, a, like, no one had seen anyone like Pablo Escobar. Uh, the extent that the whole entire government took to try and take this man down. You not only had the government, you not only had all these, you know, official people, but then you had other drug dealers who literally teamed up with, say, guerrilla paramilitary uh, to create Los Pepes in order to try to take this man down. Um, and that's just intense. How, because Pablo was not dumb. He was not dumb at all. And uh, Wagner Mora, who plays Pablo, who actually is Brazilian um, and prior to this did not speak Spanish at all. He spoke Portuguese what? and English. 
Yeah, he is Brazilian. In Brazil, they speak Portuguese. He did not speak yeah. Spanish at all. Um, so he literally had to go to school for uh, Spanish speakers to learn how to speak Spanish and how to speak it with a proper accent. Uh, so to me, that is just such dedication to the craft. Um, oh, incredibly, yeah. I was just watching the finale of season two uh, not too long ago where they depicted the real-life takedown of Pablo. And it was so, uh, like, satisfying because they're showing, like, people cheering, and they literally have the real Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, like, clinking beers, watching the news and everything. Um, That's beautiful because, you know, they did that. It's like that was their mission, and they got it. They did it. They, uh, yeah, and I mean, there was, uh, obviously, as you said, things were dramatized, you know, uh, in the show, Steve Murphy and his wife adopt one child, in real life, I read, they ad- actually adopted two Colombian children who were displaced due to Pablo, um, uh, uh, the Colonel Carrillo, who was very tough, uh, was not really real, he was kind of the combination of two separate people, and of course, dramatized, because literally at some point he, I love Carrillo. He was crazy. He took Steve Murphy and these two uh, Sicarios up on a helicopter and questioned them. And when both of them refused to answer the question, literally pushed both of them out of the helicopter. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I didn't know that part. Jeez. Oh, you see them talking, and he's like, cooperate and blah, blah blah and they're pretty much like eat shit and he's like huh and literally pushes one and he's like okay you saw what I did so what's your answer and the guy's like eat shit and he pushes and Steve Murphy's just like what? <laughs> At that point it's just on them. Yeah exactly but the whole point is Steve Murphy comes in you know he doesn't speak Spanish and all of them think that you know this you know, goody, you know, southern boy isn't going to want to play ball. We have to keep him on the side. And he's pretty much like, I'm willing to do whatever. I'm all in. They're like, you don't really know what that means. And he ends up in a very tough situation uh, to the point where freaking, but he's pretty badass too. I showed you that gif. I love when he like choked out that one guy. And he's like, oh, Pablo's your boss. I'm your boss. You do Are you like, I okay, daddy, what the <laughs> heck is that kind of kink shit, <laughs> right? Uh, but really quick, what was I going to say? Holy shit. Ah! But, yeah, I love the two. Um, season three obviously dealt with the Kali cartel with uh, Chepe, as you said. Um, my one thing with season three is that I just didn't think it all the same format as the first two oh, because no, they were really no. kind of like, you know, uh, they had some real life facts, but a lot was kind of made up. Um, and then we have really quick the uh, spinoff, which is Narcos Mexico, which takes place before the first season of Narcos because we have Kiki in it. And the whole thing was that Kiki was a real life DEA agent who was uh, captured and tortured and killed by the Guadalajara cartel in Mexico. And because of that, Operation Leyenda, I forget what it was called, was enacted, which was so harsh and so intense that that is why they say in the original Narcos that no DEA is going to be touched because everyone fears what could happen to them based on that. So 
Um, I don't think we're going to get any more Narcos in Colombia. Uh, we have Narcos Mexico. A second season is coming, even though when, I don't freaking know. There's no confirmation date. But, yeah, I love Narcos. It is a fantastic uh, cop, DEA, CIA, FBI, CEA type show. Who was so, involved? All, they were. They, they pretty much had every single freaking person involved. The president knew who Pablo Escobar was. So um, it was crazy, but it is great. I can't wait for the second season of Narcos Mexico. And I love that you put this on this list. You need to watch the, sec, uh, the first season of Narcos Mexico, at least the fifth episode, because Chepe comes in. Anyway, all right. We have roughly about 11 minutes to get down to the bottom of the list, and as always, I'm going to go through them. Uh, this is the top 10 cop shows and movies. We have Psych, Justified, Zodiac, third season of True Detective, Sicario, The Killing, Silence of the Lambs, Criminal Minds, Narcos, and to me, there were none other that could be at the top of this list but Law & Order, Special Victims Unit, because... Uh, Law and Order SVU has just broke ground with its 21st season, becoming the longest-running, uh, you know, show on TV right now on, you know, a cable network. So, holy shit, uh, 21 seasons. It's a what, whole lot of seasons. What more is to say? It is probably one of the most addictive shows, probably a show that has been referenced in pretty much everything one that everyone has watched, binge-watched over, dun, dun, yeah, all, like it is synonymous, you know it. Um, not only is it good writing, not only is it good actors, um, but it also sheds light on a lot of issues throughout the seasons. We saw in the beginning series, you know, what they would deal with. You know, we had, um, you know, they, they deal with, Rape victims, advocacy, uh, abortion, diseases, transgender, like everything. And they shed light on it. And they show, especially in the beginning, how uh, cops and shit didn't necessarily take, uh, like, rape victims, especially if they were prostitutes, seriously. And that's what's amazing about SVU, because they always make sure to take it seriously and make sure to show that, these are people who deserve justice, and it doesn't matter if they are prostitutes, it doesn't matter if they are gay, it doesn't matter if they're transgender, it doesn't matter literally any of that. It doesn't even matter if they are necessarily um, a news anchor for like a Fox News type of, you know, uh, news thing. They deserve justice, and that is what is amazing about Special Victims Unit, about SBU. Uh, and the main character, uh, Benson, played by Marissa Hargitay. Well, actually, Marissa Hargitay herself has, like, a victim's advocacy group, uh, which is amazing. And what I love about SVU was its ability to restructure and transform itself after what should have been the end of this show, because the first 12 seasons was Benson and Stabler. Benson and Stabler are as synonymous as uh what are those two from the x files you know like they oh, I'm trying are, to think. oh it'll come to me but you know they it was them two they were the show yes you had munch you had captain cragen you had ice tea but they were the show they were the two main people and after season 12 
Christopher Maloney, who plays Stabler, did not want to be in the show anymore, show anymore due to financial, uh, you know, conversation. And that should have been the end of SCU. And it didn't. It had a rough patch, you know. But you know what the smartest thing they did is they introduced Pablo Schreiber's character, William Lewis, gave the oh. audience probably the best arc that it has ever had because SBU is very much a week to week and they don't really get involved with say the killers or the rapists. They come in afterwards, right? The victims catch them, blah, blah, blah. Instead you have William Lewis who not only was involved, he was smart. He was cunning. He got away a million times and he took Benson and really gave everyone a fucking scare. It was the best thing. It rejuvenated. And then after that, they brought in Peter Scanavino's Detective Carisi, who is now ADA, Sonny Carisi. Uh, they, had oh. as far- they brought in some great characters and really transformed this. And this is the reason why, you know, it should have ended after season 12. Instead, it is on its 21st season. And I don't see it ever slowing down. Mirka Hargitay herself has said, she'll play this character for the next 10 years. So um, that I is love my, her. I know. That is my entry. We have just seven minutes left, so I'm going to stop talking. And, Brittany, uh, what are your thoughts on SVU? I think what was especially great about bringing in William Lewis is they went more into the mindset, of gave a character the time and effort to explain why he did it, because even he said, he was like, oh, you know, I changed the trajectory of these people's lives. Like, he was messed up about it. He was, I think that's what made him so much more interesting. And they really did need something like that after the Sabler left because it changed up the whole dynamic. And could I remember Sabler as a kid? Like, this show, when you think about uh, one or two seasons. Yeah, like, has it been on for at least 21 years, or is it just, I don't know if it's one season a year, or every six yeah. months, or what? Yeah. That's but 21 think years. About it. I, I'm 25, this stuff's been going on until I've had, like, memories, so I, I remember Stabler, and so to come in, and it's like, oh, it's just live, but she has, like, held her own, like, she has great characters, but she is, like, she is the glue, and so it's good on her to be able to take all that on her shoulders and still be able to run it even without Stabler. She is the only character that has been there since day one because Ice-T came in in season two. Captain Kragen isn't around anymore. Munch isn't around. It's just her. And then, yes, of course, Ice-T is then the second longest running, which he t- they are staples of this, and they are amazing in this whole thing. And as you said, because the whole show has always been, they come in after the crime, they take pictures, they then find the guy. William Lewis, it is involved. They are there in it, like, fully. Um, And it's amazing. It's so good. I still, like, I love, they have fantastic guest stars. They have fantastic actors. They really uh, don't, you know, they don't pull punches. You know, they're not afraid, this show. And I absolutely love it. And they even, like, because even if you think, like, maybe sometimes they're a little too, like, leaning one side, they even, you know, like, because there's this one character, I'm going to go really quick, but there's this one time where there's, like, a campus, and there was a campus rape, 
and you find out throughout the episodes that that didn't really happen or there wasn't as many people and these people specifically weren't involved. And this one like woman on campus like, well, it doesn't matter, you know, what the real facts are. It's just, it's about sending a message. And Olivia Benson's like, no, it's about capturing the right people. Because then if we yeah. don't, then we're just making it seem like well, then we are failing. And I like that they included that because it is not just about say sending a message. It is about the right, you know, perk. So I love the show. I love Law and Order SVU. Um, and I think that when you talk about cop shows, there was none other that I thought about putting uh, for the number one. But we have come down to, we only have a few minutes left, so I just want to make sure that we get this out there. Uh, Brittany, you, um, well, first of all, congratulations for becoming affiliated on Twitch. Please, uh, tell, please tell everyone, um, you know, I don't know about your thing. Again, I barely understand it. As Brittany said, I'm like I the mom um, who's like, <laughs> I don't understand, but I support you anyway. So, uh, yeah, tell, tell, the, tell the audience. <laughs> I've been streaming on Twitch. Uh, I have a schedule up on my Twitter at itty bitty Brit zero because itty bitty Brit was taken. I changed my name so that my last name ain't all over the place. Uh, but yeah, find me there. My stream schedule. Uh, I'm going to be streaming Monday at <laughs> three o'clock, and it's going to be a good time. Uh, that's Central Time. I'm going to be streaming The Beast Inside. So if you want to watch me get scared, that's a good place to find me. <laughs> and as I said, uh, my Twitter is itty bitty Brit zero, and you can find me there. Hope to see you. Yeah, and um, I think that it's good that you're doing all of these, uh, you know, spooky games because it is near Halloween, the best time of the year. Please, uh, stores, stop trying to push your Christmas agenda on us at the end of summer. Halloween and Thanksgiving need to have their moment, and they're probably better holidays. So I'm just going to throw that out there. But um, (laughs) I I really enjoyed this one with you today. I think that we just got caught off, and that's why we kind of took our time in the first, like, four entries. But that just goes to show there was a lot to talk about. Um, and I'm sure that next, it was, but next week, uh, I do think it's a good idea next week if we do maybe the top 10 Halloween movies and Halloween candies, just to kind of have a little fun uh, oh, yeah. mix there. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, I can't take too much credit. Uh, Kanan, our editor-in-chief, uh, came up with that one, but I think that'll be good. And then, yes, Brittany, we'll do a uh, Best Silence of the Lamb, but um <laughs> Everyone who's listening, stay tuned. We have Geek Vibes Live coming in three hours uh, at 3 o'clock Eastern, which I'll also be involved in. Please make sure that you keep an eye on geekvibesnation.com for all of our latest articles and podcasts. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, Geek Vibes Nation, as well as finding me, Sia Baby, on both Twitter and Instagram. You don't want to follow my Facebook. I post nothing there. So it's all about <laughs> it's all about Twitter and Instagram for us. But I really enjoyed this as always, Brittany. Thank you so much for waking up early and shooing away all of the cats in order to make time. Oh, thank you. And, <laughs> and for the listeners out there, make sure that you like, subscribe, and tell us what your favorite top ten top shows and movies are. Thank you, Brittany, and thank you, audience. Thank you. Thank you, audience. See you all next time.
<laughs> Bye.